You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Alex Varallo. Okay, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. Uh, This one's going to be a little bit more upbeat because we are talking about a Jets victory. That is correct. The Jets go down to Houston, and they pull out the victory. It was uh, not looking too great from the beginning, but they found a way to get it done. Uh, I'm also joined by my co-host, Dylan. How are we doing tonight, my man? I'm doing good. You know, we're troubleshooting some audio issues, so hopefully everybody can hear us a little bit clearer. But, yeah, coming off a win, and not only that, the, the Seahawks lost last night in dramatic fashion, so the Jets hold two top five picks in next year's draft as it currently stands. That would be a win-win, as they would say, uh, for for the Jets. And, uh, yeah, we've been doing uh, this podcast week to week, and we've only had two victory shows. So we had a victory Monday to celebrate and kind of bask in that glory. And, you know, now we're going to have to, you know, review tonight's um, – I'm sorry, review Sunday's game is obviously what we're going to do. We're going to get into some injury uh, discussion. We're going to talk uh, a little bit about the quarterback situation. We've got some info coming from the offensive side as far as running backs and wide receiver info that we're going to uh, do a little deep dive in on. And then, uh, you know, at, per usual, we'll go into the preview for our upcoming opponent uh, this Sunday. Uh but, yeah, I, I have to say, um, you know, doing another week of a Jets loss, um, you know, can't really find a lot of motivation for that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that they, they figured out a way to do it. It was an ugly win, but I'd rather an ugly win than an ugly loss. Uh, so, you know, we'll take yep. them as they come. Uh, like I said, we're going to break it all down. We're going to get into it. Um just want to take a moment to mention our sponsor, Mile Social. Um, you can find them at milesocial.com. If you're a business owner and you're trying to improve your business, your company's social media platform, you have to go to milesocial.com and see what they have in store for you. All right, Dylan. So I'm going to go right into the injury segment, and uh, let's just get that out of the way, and then we can uh, go right into this Houston game and, and break down all the details that we have here. Uh, So in recent news, it looks like Trayvon Wesco, our fullback tight end, uh, will be going on a short-term IR for two to four weeks with an ankle injury. Uh, Quincy Williams had some deep, a deep uh, bruise in his calf, but it does not sound too serious. Uh, Corey Davis has been out with a groin, but he's getting a little bit closer and he's considered day to day. And as we already know, we're a couple weeks away from seeing Michael Carter and also Makai Becton. So uh, that's just the long and the short of it. Uh, as far as transactions, uh, Dan Brown is, has been signed to the practice squad. Uh, maybe that's, uh, you know, due to the West Coast situation. 
and uh, the Jets cut James Morgan again. Um, man, that guy's had a rough road with this team, being on and off the team a few times. Um, any other transaction news out there, Dylan, that I may have missed? I think the only one was Denzel Mims should be activated tomorrow off the COVID list, but that's not official. That's just what Robert Sala was hoping for. Okay. All right. That's that's a good uh, nugget right there because, yeah, we, we haven't heard anything, and this has been a, about a two-week process for Mims on, on the COVID protocol. So uh, hopefully the Jets will get a little bit more uh, depth at the wide receiver position for this Sunday. Um, something to keep our you know eyes and ears on. All right, so let's get right down into this Houston game, Dylan. Um, Jets figure out a way to come back. Um, the beginning of the game looked rather ugly, uh, but they bounced back. Uh, they they made some good plays at the end of the first half to get themselves within arm's reach, and then they they just took over in the second half, and and the defense just did a phenomenal job. So why don't you go ahead and give us your breakdown and, and your just, uh, you know, take on, on what you saw from Sunday. Sure, yeah. I'll start with, with the negative first. I'll get it out of the way because, like every game, even with a win, there's some negative. And that was really the special teams all around. I felt like they were just, you know, lackluster. Amendola missed a kick, and it was a crucial kick in the fourth quarter that would have put the Jets up seven you know, luckily he was able to bounce back and, and hit one later on to go back up seven. So that's always good that he rebounds. But he's been missing kicks lately. He's been a little inconsistent. And then Braden Mann, I mean, he's just had another poor outing. He only averaged 39 uh, yards per punt. He had zero punts downed inside the 20. And honestly, Thomas Morstead was much better when he was playing and Mann was on the IR. And they alluded to it on the broadcast, which prompted me to go back and look and Braden Mann is only averaging about 38 yards per kick in his three games back. So that's something, you know, you want to see a little bit better from him going on um, moving forward. And then, you know, the good, the good of it was Zach Wilson's second half. He started off slow. Like he said, he had, you know, a weird decision making error in that interception, whether it was on him or Ty Johnson. And, you know, if you, take out the Braxton Berrios catch, he would have only finished with 99 yards. So, you know, not a all-around inspiring performance by him. You know, 14 of 24, 145. He did have the rushing touchdown. He had a fumble, but he didn't lose it. It went out of bounds, I believe. But he started one for six, and it went up from there. He had the really good drive before the <clears throat> before the half ended, which resulted in a touchdown, and the two-point conversion was a little – cheeky play by Michael LaFleur to have Josh Johnson and Zach Wilson on the field at the same time. And then they had the drive right after the half as well that resulted in a touchdown, a nice 10-play drive for Wilson. And I think they had two explosive plays to Elijah Moore on that drive, so it was nice to see him getting involved. Because when Zach Wilson was out, Elijah Moore didn't really have a role, or when Zach Wilson was in, rather, he didn't really have a role. And then he emerged, obviously, when Wilson went down. And then, you know, <clears throat> the the dominant performance by the D-line. They had four sacks in the first half. John Franklin Myers had two himself with the interception on the first drive. I want to highlight Quincy Williams. He's just head and shoulders better than <clears throat> Jared Davis has been in this defense. I know he doesn't, you know, make every single play, but you can just tell that he plays with his hair on fire with a little bit more control than Jared Davis, so it's nice to see him playing. 
And then Bryce Hall, he bounced back. He had a, a couple, you know, missed opportunities, I'll say, in the first half where he got beat for the long touchdown and a couple other plays he'd like to have back. But then he bounced back and made that, you know, key pass breakup on fourth down to essentially mm-hmm. close the game. They held the Texans to zero points and two first downs in the second half. So, you know, you love to see that stuff. And then the run game, I think it was the best performance all around by the run game, 157 yards total on the ground. Austin Walter got a touchdown, which is really cool. He had two explosive runs on a drive, too. So it's nice to see, you know, not only quarterbacks get thrown into the mix and all of a sudden do well, but running backs essentially can do the same thing. So it's nice to see that, you know, explosive legs moving. When Austin Walter, who's been a practice squad guy for the Jets. So, you know, all around mostly up. Some down, obviously, but it's an ugly uh, ugly win after an ugly loss. So you like to see them learn their mistakes from the Miami game, take that into the next week, and go out and beat Houston. Like we said, we couldn't sit here and talk about another loss. So it's nice for them to finally get in the win column and start swinging upward. Yeah, and and I know that we're at the point of the year where where some fans are tuned out, and, and now we're thinking about April 2022. Um, and what our draft scenario is going to be like because the Jets do have, you know, currently two picks within the top ten or top five at the moment. Um, I'm sure, you know, that will change. And, you know, don't get too worked up about April is the only thing I can say at this point. We still need to see a lot of progress over these next six games that the Jets have coming ahead. So, you know, my perspective on the game uh you know, I'll start with some of the, the, the negative stuff here, which is just kind of really, really bizarre stuff. Um, you know, never have I seen a game where our quarterback statistically plays worse or, you know, not as good as our opponent, but still somehow finds a way to win the game. You know, as you had mentioned, you take away the Berrios play. Zach Wilson is not even at 100 yards on the day. That would put him at 99. Um you know, you look at that very, very bizarre interception. Uh, you know, it looked like Ty Johnson was attempting to block for him as he was trying to scramble, and then he just makes a last, you know, instant decision to, to pitch the ball. And, um, you know, clearly uh, these are the types of things that you see from a rookie quarterback, an inexperienced guy, someone that's trying to put all this together on the fly, Um you know, the Jets' offensive line was not perfect. They did let up four sacks on the day, so there's still, you know, improvement needed there, uh, you know, and uh, just very, very um, odd with the distribution of the pass selection and things like that, and, and we're going to deep, we're going to get into a little bit deeper into that conversation later this episode, uh, but it was mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of bizarre as you look at some of the numbers here. Uh, but to look at some of the, the positives, um, the Jets had, I believe, their season-high best um, rushing yards at 157 yards uh, this past week. I think that's something that we've talked a lot about on this show, is developing a good run game for Zach Wilson to try to you mm-hmm. know, protect him from you know, beating him, himself up by forcing throws and you know, asking too much of, of your rookie quarterback especially a quarterback that isn't 100% healthy. And Zach kind of alluded to that. He did mention that in his press conference after the game that, you know, there was a time where his knee felt a little bit shaky and 
he had to like walk it off and, you know, kind of work the knee, you know, around a little bit to make sure that it was good. And obviously he was able to get through the game, but uh, yeah, you know, that, that's just something that the Jets need to continue to work on is developing a better running game. Obviously we can see the things that happen when you do that, you win time of possession, uh, you can control the clock and, you know, set your team up and more of that chestnut checkers, you know, kind of scenario that I've talked about in the past. And, you know, Kevin Coleman gets the start. Uh, you know, he ends up with 70 total yards on the day, 67 on the ground and, um, you know, three yards in the air. And, um, you know, you mentioned um, Austin Walt- Walter, somebody that I saw in training camp doing stuff all the time, and I just didn't know where he fit. Um, glad to see that he's made it back onto the roster. Obviously, the scenario isn't great being that he's here because of Michael Carter's situation. Uh, but clearly, you can see the hunger and you can see the energy that a young running back can bring to the table. And, uh, you know, he took advantage of his opportunities. Um, he ended up with nine carries compared to Coleman's 16 on the day. So he was um, second in touches. He ends up with the uh, only score out of the running backs. Uh, Zach Wilson also, his only touchdown was a rushing touchdown. Um, so, you know, just kind of like an interesting offensive scenario to where, you know, Zach has that fumble that he got lucky on and it goes you know, for negative 20-something yards, but it goes out of bounds, so we got lucky there. I already talked about the weird interception off of Ty Johnson's back. That's just poor decision-making. Uh, but luckily for the Jets, their defense uh, really, really locked in. Um, you know, not only did they hold the Texans to 45 yards in the second half, but they shut them out as well. Um, and then that's what you, you know, that's the kind of Jets defense that I guess we are accustomed to seeing, um, you know, and we're getting toward the colder Sundays, you know, moving forward. And, and that's kind of where things get a little bit tougher for the offensive side of the ball. And, 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 you know, some defenses emerge when, when the colder weather approaches, that's what I'm kind of hoping is the forecast for the Jets defense is that as we go down the stretch, we see better, better play. Um, Cause we have seen a lot of inconsistencies and, our head coach is a, you know, I hate putting labels like gurus and things like that, but he is a defensive guy and this is what he's supposed to bring to the table. And we haven't seen much of that. So glad to see that the defense bounced back, you know, as you mentioned, five sacks, you know, that's what we're talking about. That's what we expect from this defensive line. Um, You know, Quincy Williams had himself a really, really good game. Uh, Quinnen um, also found himself, uh, with a really, really good sack, and John Franklin Myers. I think we were a little critical of him last week, and, you know, people have been critical with him across the board ever since he got his big contract. Glad to see him finally, uh, you know, not only make a play, but two sacks and a pass deflection that ends up being his own interception, uh, which was really, really cool. Um, Got to love that. And, and then he put on the wheels, and good God, is it, kind of comical watching the lineman try, try to turn into a running back. Um, you know, the big man ran out of steam there, but, you know, we tip our cap to him because he played himself a heck of a game, and those plays definitely were the key factors to how the Jets were able to win this past week. 
Um, so yeah, you know, just to, you know, summarize my, my take on the offense here, um, just really bizarre, you know, when we were looking at the beginning of this game, mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh man, the Jets are about to be blown out again. And not to mention being blown out, but by a team that is capable to being as bad as the Jets. And where do we go from here? Um, it's kind of where my mind was going is if we lose to the, the Texans. So I'm glad that they figured it out. Um, you know, that was definitely a plus and, and, you know, I, we were texting last night uh, a little bit, Dylan, and I was saying, you know, I can't believe the Jets were down three to fourteen with six minutes left in the second half, or sorry, in the first half, the second quarter, mm-hmm. and somehow, you know, we we play some good football, we get the ball back, we make some plays, we get down the field, Walter gets his score, and then Josh Johnson comes in and converts for a two point conversion, and next thing you know, we're looking at eleven fourteen game. And what looked like another horrible Sunday, all of a sudden, looks like, hey, we're back in this game. And not only were we in this game, but we end up winning it. So, um, you know, kudos for the Jets figuring out a way to get it done. Um, and, uh, you know, we can, uh, we can switch over to the uh, defensive side um, if you want now, Dylan. And, you know, I only have a few notes here I already talked about you know, John Franklin Myers and, you know, you had mentioned Brandon Cooks beating Bryce Hall. You know, we've seen Bryce Hall um, perform very, very well. Mm-hmm. It was impossible for him to have a perfect, you know, season. Um, and he gets beat by probably one of the better uh, deep threats in the league, uh, Brandon Cooks. Um, but then after that, you know, he really, really bounced back. And like you said, he made a key play. Um, you know, 202 total yards of offense, definitely one of the best performances this defense has, has brought, um, you know, that we've seen from them. Uh, but, you know, any thoughts, um, you know, in regards to, to the defense and um, any other players that come to mind that, that stood out to you? Yeah, um, just in, in terms of players that stood out to me, Javelin Gidry, he played 100% of the snaps. So that was something that was interesting from the cornerback standpoint to see how they were going to use Isaiah Dunn and Javelin Gidry in the absence of Brandon Eccles. So you saw a lot of <clears throat> Javelin Gidry, but Isaiah Dunn still did get in there for a couple plays, so I'll have to go back and watch the All-22. But I believe it was Dunn on the outside and Gidry on the slot when Michael Carter came off. But other than that, they had Gidry on the outside. So that was, you know, that was interesting to see. And then the other person that I wanted to highlight was Elijah Riley. He's, you know, only been on the on the team for like three weeks, and he's already played 109 snaps over the last two games. He's averaging 84% of the snaps, so he's like a full-time starter. And Robert Sala, you know, commended him on being – having that mental horsepower, you know, to be able to read and react to plays. And he doesn't second guess. And when he, he sees something, he reacts and he's going a hundred miles per hour. So Elijah Riley, somebody that's come in and played alongside Ashton Davis and has really held his own. And what was really surprising was when they took him off the field, they would put Jason Pinnock in as the deep safety. So that rotation of safeties was a little strange to me, but yeah, other than that, I mean, they had a great game. The D-line, you know, played phenomenally. Quinn and Williams led all the D-linemen with 39 
snaps, which was 68%, so a little bit higher than we're used to seeing out of him. And, you know, the rest of the, the starting defensive line played great. I think Rankins got banged up a little bit in the game, but everything looks like he's okay. Ronald Blair got a sack, so it's nice to see him getting involved. You know, Zuniga played 10 snaps, and we didn't really see much of him, but it's nice to see that the starting guys, you know, Franklin Myers, Rankins, Fatu Kasi, and uh, Quinn and Williams, you know, they really all played lights out. You know, you said at five sacks, I'm pretty sure all D linemen except for Quincy Williams' sack. So, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I can't say enough about how well the defense performed and just need them to stay consistent at this point. Yeah, and you know what? I, I'd like to just mention the Jason Pinnock, um, you know, comment off of that, that statement that you made there because he he was one of the uh, victims of of the Houston Texans touchdowns. And um, you can yes. see that, you know, he was really disappointed with himself. And as you had mentioned, um, you know, it looks like he, he's been – his role has been altered a little bit. Now, from what mm-hmm. I remember watching some film on him in college – from Pittsburgh, you know, he was mainly an outside corner that was playing like press, you know, and very physical right up at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, do you think that he's kind of, you know, out of his comfort zone at this point? And, you know, obviously all these rookies have their head on swivel and they're like a deer in headlights. But uh, do you think that Pinnock is being used, um, you know, to, to wear his talent, um, you know, can be can be utilized best, or you know, is, is Salah, you know, misusing him at this point? What do you think about that? Yeah, it's it's a tough one because obviously we have a lot of defensive players that we drafted this year that are getting a a role change at the next level. We've seen it with Hamza, Nasrul Dean, and uh, Jamie and Sherwood, both safeties that are now converted linebackers. So it is weird to see a cornerback converted safety. Although we have seen. Historically in the past, there are times where a cornerback is, you know, not looking so great on the outside or in the slot, and they move him back a little bit, give him that, you know, 10-yard cushion to really read the read the offensive play and see what's going on. So maybe Jason Pinnock can, you know, benefit from that. I think he has the length to be a deep field safety. I'm not quite sure he has the speed to be a deep field safety. I feel like Ashton Davis would be better off in that role. But, I mean, he played 13 snaps. He let up the one touchdown and like you said he was disappointed so I have to go back and see how he bounced back after that but I think in a limited capacity he could definitely be one of those rotational safeties that can come in in a pinch all right looks like we do have a caller on the line I know Glenn had mentioned maybe calling in this could be possibly him so let's just give it a quick Mm -hmm. look here Hi, caller. You're uh, you're live on Jet Nation Radio. Hey, how we doing, fellas? What's up? Glenn? Yes, it is. Oh, the infamous Glenn. How we doing, bud? Good, good. How you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. I always get a little bit nervous. Sometimes we do get the occasional prank caller, and I didn't recognize the number calling in, but. Hey, we got all three of us back on the pod. This is great stuff. And well, and, not to and mention a, J- listen, a Jets win. And it's early in the call. You still don't know what I'm going to say. Things could turn, you know. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> hey, Glad. I, I feel much more comfortable getting, you know, uh, hazed by you than uh, some random. But uh, 
Glenn, <laughs> yeah. give it to us straight off the top of your beam. What are you thinking about this Jets win? Um, you know, listen, it's uh, it's you can't get too high over beating the Texans, but at the same time, you know, as I said a couple weeks ago, I don't think it would be unfair to assume this team might not win another game. I mean, even though you're losing to quality opponents, when you're giving up 45 points every week, you kind of start to wonder if you're going to be able to contain anyone. And the offense, you know, unfortunately, um, with Zach Wilson under center, kind of didn't look as good as it has with with Flacco or Johnson or or Mike White. Um, they, you know, they all performed at a higher level than 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 he has. But uh, you know, we talked about it offline. The, the, the I think the mechanics are ugly right now. I think they're uglier than they ever were at BYU. Um, I don't know if it's nerves. I don't know if he's just if he's overthinking things. But right now, he's, you know, he's, he's not even. You're talking about a guy who, you know, as we've talked about, you know, what 70% completion percentage last year. You watch his film from college. He's hitting guys at every level, and now he can't complete a 10-yard pass. And you know, someone said to me, "Oh, that's the difference from from college to the pros." Like we're not, we're talking about uncovered guys with no defender between him and the receiver, basically playing catch. Like you're asking him to play catch with Elijah Moore, and he's throwing the ball in the dirt. That's not a, oh, well, he hasn't adjusted to the NFL yet. That's, he's completely out of whack, um, especially, again, especially on the short stuff. So it, it was, it's a little bit concerning. I was hoping for a better performance. Um, but I, I really think that the, the chances of him getting, you know, fixed by the end of this season are highly unlikely. So you just kind of hope for a little bit of improvement. And then they've got to they gotta spend this offseason getting him right. Um, and, and again, I'm not talking about the off-platform stuff. The, you know, when when he's changing arm angles because he has to to get the ball to the receiver, all that stuff is fine. But when he's when he's throwing, you know, he he threw one one screen pass that was, you know, it's reminiscent of Christian Hackenberg. The ball was three or four yards over the over the receiver's head. You know, he's throwing he's throwing the ball in a straight line, 15 yards, and he's and he's way over the guy's head. So. He's he's really out of whack right now. So, but at the same time, he was better in the second half. He did make some better throws. You know, he started off with a 22-yard dart to Elijah Moore over the middle. So, you know, first half to second, he started off one for six. So, you know, he he did get a little bit better. But even on some of the completions, you know, even the the big the big ball to Keelan Cole to convert on fourth down, like that was an ugly wobbler. Like that wasn't a pretty pass. It was behind him and it wasn't tight. But, you know, it got the job done, but you still have to be better than that. So he, he's concerning, but there's a lot of good to, you know, I had said a couple weeks ago that uh, I thought John Franklin Myers, like I completely understood fans being frustrated with his lack of production since signing his deal. That's a natural thing, especially with, you know, you can't help but think of Mo Wilkerson. But, you know, watching him on the All-22 while he hasn't been getting to the quarterback, the effort is still there. It's just a matter of, you know, sometimes things just don't come together. And this week, you know, I kind of felt like he was due for a decent game. And, you know, he picked up a couple sacks and a pick. Like, he played really well, and a lot of guys did. So it was uh, it was encouraging. But I just wanted to ask you guys, because I'm, I, I couldn't be happier with Quincy Williams. Like, what are you guys thinking about him right now? You, you want to go first, Alex? Sure. You know what, um, I was a little skeptical, you know, at first, saying, okay, you know, we're trying to do another brother thing, like the Mosley Mosley situation, and, you know, hopefully it all works out. Um, I didn't know too much about Quincy when, you know, coming into this thing, but, man, he just plays like, you know, his hair's on fire. He, he really, really can, uh, 
you know, come downhill, as they say, you know, as a run stopper. And um, this weekend he was all over the place. You know, he had, you know, sack, the tackle for the loss, the QB hit, you know, seven total tackles. The guy was all over the place. Um, he did end up, you know, having that deep bruise in his calf. But um, you have to be, you know, pleasantly surprised with what come from him because, you know, at one point we were looking at the linebacker core and we were saying, okay, we're all right there. We don't have much problems. And then within a matter of like two weeks, um, we were very thin at the linebacker position and and not really sure how this was all going to play out. Uh, But yeah, I am definitely happy with, you know, his play. And um, I definitely hope that he is in, uh, you know, the future plans for, for the Jets. Yeah, I have to agree with that. When when the Jets first signed him, I wasn't really anticipating a lot from him considering we had players above him that were projected starters. But then he came in and, you know, his first two games weren't the greatest against New England and Denver. But then he really had a coming out game against Tennessee and he played 97% of the snaps. He had a sack, two tackles for loss, another quarterback hit, double-digit tackles. And then you know, they kind of went away with using him and they went back to Jared Davis and it showed in the games against New England through Buffalo, he played 23 or less snaps and the defense, you know, struggled. They let up 45 points or more, actually 45 points minimum in all those games. No, no, Cincinnati was 31, excuse me, but still, you know, too many points were let up when he wasn't playing and then they put him back on the field. And I'm not saying it's a direct correlation, but he plays 88% of the snaps against Miami and they held them to under 24 points and then same thing against Houston. So it's, it's nice to see him go out there. Not only does he hit as, as hard as a Mack truck, but he, he's just a spark plug him and his brother. You know, you see it when, when he got the sack and Quinnen was right behind him doing his dance celebration with him. Like you really see that, that extra level of chemistry on the defense. So it's nice to see him, you know, step up and take on the role. And hopefully they don't give it back to Jared Davis because I think Quincy has earned it. Yeah, I think his – I couldn't be more – I don't think there's another guy on the roster. There's not another guy on the roster that hits as hard as he does. And he, he's not a perfect player. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to overrun some guys. But he, there's enough good – like, you know, if you do enough good, you can put up with some bad. And he's one of those guys. He's going to make some mistakes, but he's going to blow guys up. He's going to stuff guys at the line. He's going to force some fumbles. Um, so I, I couldn't be happier. You know, I said a few weeks ago the Jets might have to draft two, maybe three more linebackers because they were so thin there. But I think if he just keeps playing and he gets better with reps, I think he's a guy, you know, he, he can be a starter for, you know, for a long time. But um, but I got to run, guys. Just wanted to call in and check in, see how you're doing. And, uh, you know, looking forward to joining you again. Hopefully, hopefully talk about a couple more wins before the season's over. Absolutely. Absolutely. We need that. <laughs> Thanks for calling in, Glenn. Appreciate it. All right, so the infamous Glenn Naughton coming in for a quick quick take. I love it. Very uh, cool. All right, so I had we a, I had a follow up question yeah, yeah. that it. I wanted to mm-hmm. to ask to both of you guys while he was here talking about Zach Wilson, but he mentioned it there mm-hmm. with uh, the whole mechanic issue and not even when he's throwing mm-hmm. balls that are completions that they're not spirals and they're a little wobbly. So literally while Glenn was talking, I typed in quarterback changes mechanics on Google, and I got a list of a few names of players that I believe did change their mechanics going into their second year, and it's Josh Allen, Mm. 
Carson Wentz and Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not exactly sure mm. to what extent they changed their mechanics. But my question was, do you think Zach Wilson is going to be another one of those mechanic-changing quarterbacks heading into his sophomore season? I think if he wants to excel uh, and and be something not only for this team but in this league, I think that that would be vital for him. Uh, you know, when I was watching some of Zach Wilson's film from his college days, you know, everybody saw the highlights and everybody saw, you know, the, the great stuff, you know, those crazy catches, you know, that his receivers were making down the field and big plays. I went and I watched a lot of the games where, you know, BYU lost and Zach Wilson's numbers were not pretty because I wanted to see the good and the bad. And a lot of those games where Zach Wilson struggled, you could see that, number one, he was under duress, um, was pressured a lot more in those games that he had difficulties in. Um, The turnovers were there. And uh, furthermore, when he was put under pressure, he would negate his mechanics, not set his feet, kind of throw off platform. And, you know, these are a lot of the things that people said that he was capable of doing that made him the prospect that he is. But you can really, really see how important it is to have those fundamentals at the quarterback position so that, you know, like Glenn had mentioned, um, you know, those easy throws that, you know, you should, you should be able to, you know, make with your eyes closed, Zach seems to be struggling on. Um, it seems like he's trying to rush his process uh, with certain throws, and, and you can clearly see the results aren't as good. So, yes, I definitely agree, um, or I, I feel that, you know, making some adjustments to his mechanics should be able to lead to, you know, more completions and, and you know, a better uh, completion percentage for next year because, you know, like Glenn said, he was over the 70 mark last year, and, I'm not mistaken. I think he's right around 57 or yeah, 57.6 percent um, um, completion percentage on the year. So um, significant um, difference, uh, you know. And yes, maybe it is, you know, the transition from college to the pros. But even still, there are just some easy ones that you know end up being lame ducks, and you scratch your head like, this is not what we were anticipating at all. Um, yep. Yeah, good question there, uh, Dylan. Do you have any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, I'm glad. His, his uh, college games at BYU where his numbers weren't so through the roof and you went back and, you know, dissect the film and you see, you know, he was missing passes on little bubble screens and stuff that would just bounce short in the dirt or a little eight-yard curl that just didn't make it to his receiver. And you're just like, all right, you brush it off because you don't think it's anything. It's just one play in the middle of him throwing, you know, touchdown after touchdown on film. So then you're like, okay, it's not mm-hmm. a big deal. But then it happens again, and you see he's not I, – I said this a couple of weeks ago. He's not matching his top half with his bottom half. His bottom half wants to do something else, and his top half is too reliant on arm strength and pure arm talent when he gets into those situations. Yeah. And he's running off platform trying to make too much happen. And, like you said, he's either thinking too fast or just trying to get through the play too quickly, and he lets the little things slip through the cracks. So it's definitely something that, you know, you saw on film, his mechanics were not this bad. I completely agree with Glenn there. So it's something that definitely needs to get changed. And if he doesn't have a complete overhaul of his mechanics, he definitely needs to, you know, go back to the drawing board and do sort of like what Josh Allen did and, you know, learn his mechanics, learn his motion, and learn how to 
you know, take advantage of what he does best. Right, because, you know, this year, it, whatever, you know, however this plan pans out with the, you know, Jets total wins and, and his final number statistically, you know, he'll get that rookie, that, you know, rookie pass. And, uh, you know, that's fine. I and mean, that's to be expected. But next year, if we still see a lot of these things that we saw in year one, we are going to have to address, you know, this in a concerning manner and, you know, start questioning, you know, did the Jets make the right decision and, and what does this hold for the future? But, uh, you know, at this mm-hmm. point, you know, Zach's got another six games to go here and uh, we really, really need to start seeing some production here as far as, like you said, you know, mechanically, you know, simplifying, you know, throws and, and, and executing them and getting them, your, your guys, the ball and, and decision-making as well. Um, and protecting the ball, you know, obviously, you know, these are all things that, you know, rookies go through, Zach's going through, he's checking all these boxes. So, you know, but the positive thing on this is that majority of these things are correctable. So, you know, that does um, give a little bit of positivity on on some of the things that aren't going well with Zach Wilson at the moment. Uh, But, you know, let's, um, let's break down some of the analytics that you and I were talking about um, off air and earlier in the show, um, you know, mainly uh, distribution um, offensively um, with this offense that we see. You know, we talked about how the Jets ran the ball heavily, which was definitely, um, you know, part of the reasons why they won. They ran the ball 34 times. Wilson threw the ball 24. He only completed 14 passes. And what I found very interesting is that eight of those passes were all targeted to uh, Elijah Moore. And unfortunately, uh, you know, Zach was not very accurate on Sunday and a couple of those, you know, didn't go, um, you know, Elijah's way and he's been on a hot streak and, you know, at some point he was bound to come down to earth. And unfortunately um, the Elijah Moore hot streak, comes to an end in Houston, but it's completely not over. I think that there's more time for him or more games for him to, you know, show what he can do. But what was alarming to me was Keelan Cole's situation and Tevin Coleman. Um, Crowder had one target, one reception on the day. Keelan Cole gets two targets, two receptions on the day. And this is a game where Corey Davis, our number one wide receiver, was not involved. Uh, Dylan, you know, what do you think – is going on and, and, and why, you know, is this the, the, the LaFleur scheme or, you know, is this just kind of a mix of Zach not being, you know, um, at a hundred percent, you know, just really, really odd distribution with, with the play calling and, and um, how the completions worked out on Sunday. Yeah. I think, you know, we're kind of back to where we were in the beginning of the season where we have, more questions than answers as far as this offense and what is exactly going on. You know, coming into the week, we were the pass heaviest offense at 67% pass rate, which literally number one tied with the Buccaneers. So for us to come into this game and have a 34 rush to 28 drop back ratio, which is, you know, obviously 50 plus percent running, that's just a very odd switch up, and I'm not quite sure if it's 
Zach Wilson doesn't know the playbook enough to open everything up like they were with the other quarterbacks or if they just don't want to expose him to some of these spread looks where it's really like a 5-0 protection on the offensive line and it's just them, nobody in, you know, like a running back or a tight end into block. So, you know, we, we end up with a lot more questions than we do answers, it seems like, week over week with this offense. But you mentioned it with Keelan Cole. He played 64, uh, 64 snaps out of a, 70, a 67 total. Did I say that right? 64 out of 67. Yes, 96% mm-hmm. snaps. And he had two targets. Yep. So it's very, very odd to see that for sure. And, I, you, you know, you can't blame the chemistry with Zach Wilson because he's been playing with Zach all year long. So even with the injury and Zach missing games, it's not like they're unfamiliar with each other. So that was definitely weird. Then you had Elijah Moore next on the list of wide receivers with 59 snaps. So that's 88%. And he was our second leading receiver behind Braxton Berrios, who only played 13 snaps. So less than 20% snaps for Berrios and 88% snaps for Moore. And the two of them gave you 87 yards or 93 yards of Zach's 145. So it's very weird to see him target the slot players and the slot players that aren't Jamison Crowder. Crowder only had the one target for five yards, and that came early mm-hmm. on in a – it actually came on a scoring drive. So, you know, it's nice that he actually got him the ball, but it's not encouraging to see that only certain players are getting targeted when Zach Wilson's on the field. So, you know, you, you want to see that change. Hopefully Corey Davis comes back and, well, you know, he was targeting Corey Davis too much, so maybe that's, you know, a benefit – Zach Wilson is now he has to throw it to other wide receivers but at the same time if he's Mm -hmm. trusting of Corey Davis and he can get the ball to Corey Davis you know more often than not that is also going to open up the other receivers to get open and uh, I know we didn't mention it the the running back breakdown I just want to get into that real quick while I have the snap counts up so with with no Michael Carter Kevin Coleman led the backfield with 30 snaps, so it was 45%. So he basically played half the game, and he saw 19 total touches. So he's touching the ball two-thirds of the time he's out there. Then you had Ty Johnson, who was second in snaps at 23, and he had six carries, you know, a couple targets, not too many. So uh, about a third of his snaps he was getting the ball. And then Austin Walter, which really surprised me, he had 16 snaps, so 25%, basically a quarter of the game, and he saw 10 plays. It was nine rushes and one target of his 16 snaps. So when he was out on the field, Austin Walter was getting work. And that's really, you know, encouraging yeah. to see. I mentioned it earlier. You can plug in any running back essentially and, you know, he should go. But he almost looked more like Michael Carter than any of the other running backs did. You know, he's a littler guy. He's hitting the holes with a lot of speed. He wasn't, you know, quite elusive or breaking tackles like Michael Carter, but he was really, you know, fighting for the tough yards, and he got the touchdown, and it was really good to see. So all around, you know, we're going to end with more questions than answers with this offense, but it's just it's weird when you actually break it all down and see who's getting the ball and who's not getting the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, to talk about the Crowder situation a little bit here, um you know, I've I've been noticing that his snap counts have been reduced over the last couple of weeks to where, uh, you know, week 11, 
he had 41 snaps, 57%, and this week 33 with 49% of the snaps. Uh, for someone mm-hmm. that, you know, we've relied on as one of our shorthanded receivers and somebody that can help move the chains on third down and, you know, he would be more or less a safety blanket for a rookie quarterback. Very, very bizarre how Jameson Crowder is not being factored in much into this offense. And, you know, same thing with Keelan Cole. Um, You know, I know I've said this numerous times. Cole was probably one of the most impressive wide receivers um, out of the bunch um, in training camp. So to see, you know, the night and day almost with what we thought we were going to see in August and now what we've seen through these first three months of football, uh, completely different stories being told here, you know, from the numbers and how these players are being deployed. And this is just that it's a head scratcher. Uh, you know, it, it makes me wonder, you know, why aren't we trying to get the guy, get these guys the football and why is it that players deeper on the depth chart are doing more with less? Uh, a lot of, like mm-hmm. you said, more questions and answers at this point. You know, this could be all part of the process of dealing with inexperienced players and a rookie, you know, offensive coordinator. And, you know, each week, you know, let's, let's be honest, LaFleur's job has not been easy. He's been dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, a rotation of receivers, you know, every week. So, you know, each guy brings something different to the table. You know, how do they fit into your weekly plan? That probably is hard to, to implement. Then you have numerous quarterback changes, you know, throughout the season that we've seen here. That's definitely got to alter things. And then, you know, your running back situation has been a little bit of mix and match and touch and go, you know, throughout the course of the year. We were seeing some consistency with Carter. Now things are changing where we're doing a little bit more of committee. Kind of interesting how the committee approach worked very well this past week. Again, we were playing the Houston Texans, which are really not a good football team. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe perhaps that's why, you know, certain players have had success. But very, very alarming looking at some of these numbers here and looking at certain players up to this point and just, you know, there's a lot of room to be desired here and, and very, very shocked to see how players that we were banking on being foundational pieces of this offense, not really doing too much, um, you know, come going into week 13 here. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating that, you know, certain players will get a little uptick in production moving forward. Um, you know, hopefully it's Elijah Moore and guys like Crowder and, and, you know, I don't even know because if you're thinking about it, you know, as a free agent on this team, you want to get more opportunities because, you know, we don't know if we're going to have, you know, Cole or Crowder on this team next year. And, you know, if the Jets are anticipating on having either one of these guys on the roster next year, I, mm-hmm. it, now's the time to start getting them implemented. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, bring on Mims when he gets healthy and, and give him more yeah. targets because – you know, he's on a rookie deal compared to one-year show-me deals for the other guys here. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious on how this is all going to unfold offensively moving forward on how players are going to be deployed. And, 
who's going to be the, the player we're going to be talking about or players that we'll be talking about, you know, down the stretch here to say, you know, this guy stepped up, this guy's still non-existent. You know, these are all things that we're going to have to take note on uh, moving forward. Um, looking at the clock here, we got about 12 minutes, and uh, we got to get into the Eagles preview. Uh, but before we get ahead there, I just want to take a quick look at my notes here. Um, you know, takeaways, defense, with the, the sack, the five. I mean, the interception, five sacks, four pass deflections. That was really good. You know, downfall would probably be, you know, the rustiness and, you know, a little bit of questions going on with Zach's knee. Uh, And then, you know, as far as improvements, you know, the run game was great. Defense was awesome in the second half. And I believe this might have been the fewest amount of penalties the Jets had uh, this past week, which was only five. Uh, So some improvements, you know, uh, coming along, we haven't been able to talk a lot about you know who, who's you know building and progressing as we go through the season. But you know these are a few little nuggets here, so we'll take what we can get in a season that hasn't been too great for the Jets. And uh, yeah, let's jump right into the talk um, about our upcoming opponent, the Philadelphia Eagles. So, Dylan, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know about this game. You know, do we have a chance? Um, do we have a fight? Um, you know, worth watching here? Yeah, so right before we went live, I learned that Jalen Hurts is not 100% healthy and that his status for Sunday's game is not in doubt, but it's it's in question. And there's a chance that we may see their backup, Gardner Minshew. But I feel like mm-hmm. we have to prepare for Jalen Hurts regardless. And under Jalen Hurts, the Eagles' offense is 12th in the league in points. They have a 5-7 and seven record. They just lost to the Giants in the 13-7. to seven. Very upsetting loss where they couldn't really get anything going. Um, they're third in the league in rushing attempts, first in rushing yards, and second in rushing touchdowns. So they're pretty much the opposite of the Jets. The Jets are the pass-heaviest offense, and the Eagles are the run-heaviest offense. They have had 200 or more team rushing yards in the last four of five games, and they've only been under 100 yards rushing as a team twice this year, back in weeks like two and four. So it's been, you know, plenty of months since they've been establishing the run on people. They have a a four-headed monster, including Jalen Hurts. They have running back Miles Sanders. They have Boston Scott and Glenn's favorite, Kenneth Gainwell from this past draft he was out of Memphis Mm -hmm. and you know they're not quite as good passing the ball but when Jalen Hurts does pass the ball he is pretty efficient obviously everybody's going to say he threw three picks last week but before that he was very efficient he still has a 13 to 8 touchdown to interception ratio after a game with throwing zero touchdowns or zero touchdowns and three picks So he still has a very good ratio. He has a 60% completion percentage, over 2,400 yards, 203 yards per game. But he's also killing it on the ground, like I mentioned, just under 700 rushing yards and eight touchdowns on the ground. So the two guys I also want to highlight on their offense are Devonta Smith and Quez Watkins. They're speedy wide receivers. They combined for just under 1,100 yards and four touchdowns this year. They're explosive, and I feel like if the Jets don't play it smart over the top, 
either one of them and realistically Jalen Rager can take the top off this defense and, you know, burn them for a big play. So that's going to be something to watch. And then you flip it over to the Eagles defense, which has been pretty consistent since their Super Bowl run. They've had their dips, but that defensive line, that starting line of Fletcher Cox, Derek Barnett, Javon Hargrave, and Josh Sweat is, you know, they're tops in the league. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but they produce week in and week out. They all play about, you know, 70, 75% of their snaps each game. So, you know, they're on the field a lot more than, you know, the Jets defensive line per se, but, but they really get after it. They're in attacking defense. And in, on the back end, they have Darius Slay, who's had three defensive touchdowns this year. One was a pick six and two were forced uh, a fumble recovery returns. And he was only allowing a career best 9.1 yards per completion. So, you know, he's somebody to watch out for. Zach Wilson's going to have to, you know, key in on him every play and see what, who he's covering. I'm not sure if he's a follow, like a shadow type corner. I believe he plays one side. So, you know, it's always, you know, something to keep in the back of your mind. And I think the place that they can expose this defense would be the, the second level of their defense. They're, they kind of have subpar linebackers. TJ Edwards is a three-year pro who's, you know, pretty decent. And then they have Alex Singleton, who he's just kind of that roamer in the middle of the field. He's there to make every play, good or bad. And they have a guy, Gerard Every. So, you know, not a a great group of linebackers and definitely one that they can take advantage of in the middle of the field. So yeah, absolutely. They have a fighting chance. I'm not going to say they have a favorable chance to win because Philly is a five win ball club. And really realistically, they could have six or seven wins if the, you know, the ball bounced in their favor in a couple of those games. So, you know, another one, hopefully we stack it up and get a second consecutive win I realistically think that they shouldn't have too much of a problem, you know, offensively moving the ball, but the defense is what really worries me against Jalen Hurts. Yeah, yeah, good points, you know, across the board there. You know, as as they match up, um, it does not look, you know, very, very good for the Jets, you know. You know, statistically speaking, the Eagles are averaging 25 points a game. We're at 17 um, we're allowing 32 points a game. Eagles are allowing 22. Uh, you know, we are allowing more yards, total yards of offense by 414 compared to 341. Um, and then the bigger thing is, you know, the Jets have 23 turnovers this year compared to the Eagles at 13. So, you know, the, they have not turned the ball over as much as the Jets. They still do. Um, and I think, you know, the only thing that the Jets are – uh, showing better numbers in is, you know, we have 71 penalties compared to the Eagles 80. So, you know, they, they don't play very clean football as well. Um, but, you know, a game like this is really going to be determined on which team is going to make the least amount of mistakes. And whoever can do that is probably going to be the one that wins. Uh, you know, the Jets are going to have to be a little bit more aggressive uh, as far as, you know, in their passing game, um, I would definitely like to see them try to run the ball as much as they did, uh, you know, against the Eagles as they did with Houston. I think that would be very, very good as far as the game plan and, and take your shots when, when they come, uh, and, you know, let's alter the distribution 
uh, to our receivers and you get some of the, you know, more opportunities to our playmakers. I think that that would be very, very good for, for Wilson and company. Um, you know, and, and now you had mentioned it, um, and I'm just taking a quick look here, and this is from ESPN. So Jordan Howard is questionable for this weekend. Um, he's one of their running backs. Mm-hmm. Miles Sanders um, injured his ankle against the Giants. Kind of funny how the Eagles are playing two weeks in a row in MetLife. They played against the Giants, the Giants home game last week, and now they're going up against mm-hmm. the Jets again. So, uh, you know, two weeks in a row in the same stadium, that's got to be bizarre. Unfortunately, you know, they, they had an ugly loss to the Giants last week. And every time we play a team that has an ugly loss the, you know, the week prior, they seem to uh, take their aggression out on the Jets. So hopefully that's not the case. Um, you had mentioned Hurts not being 100%. Um, he injured his ankle. So Gardner Binshu, the sensation from Jacksonville, may have an opportunity to come into this game. And, you know, it's interesting because you look at Hurts and we know that we've seen what he can do as a runner. You know, clearly he does have good passing ability as well, but, you know, he could really be a threat coming outside the pocket. And then you look at Minshew, who is also a little versatile. You know, he's a little bit more of a spark plug, and, you know, he'll he'll take chances and, you know, uh, puts a little bit more flair to the quarterback position because when you look at Jalen, he's just, you know, as far as personality, um you know, very centered, not eccentric, um, just like one of those people that, you know, you wonder if he has a pulse because he's just so calm and cool and collect. Or Minshew's a very, 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 uh, um, I would say animated um, as, as a word, you know. Um, right, you know, with yeah. The, with the hair and the, the mustache and, the, you know, I don't even know if he's got the Fu Manchu with the, with the mullet going on. You know, I guess we'll find out. On <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, definitely hard to, uh, figure out who you're going to be going up against and, and how do you draw up the right defensive plan? Um, because, you know, clearly the Jets were probably working on going up against Jalen Hurts and now there could be a quarterback change, which could, you know, change a lot of things. And, you know, mm-hmm. that could be a big determining factor on how successful the Jets are, um, you know, this, this weekend. And, you know, here's a nugget that, uh, maybe a lot of people don't know, but in regular season games, the Jets are winless against the Eagles. And uh, we play them every year Jeez. in our preseason game. I think they're our final preseason game every year. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think it's time for us to to break the streak here. Um, this is an opportunity for the Jets to make a little history. And, uh yeah, I mean, at this point, the Eagles are the better team, and, uh, you know, they are the favorite, so I'm kind of stating the obvious here. But uh, I really would like to see them, you know, surprise us like they did against Houston and go out and, you know, flip the script. Let's start off hot, not slow in the first quarter. Um, you know, let's let's clean up our mistakes and let's get after um, you know, the quarterback, whomever it may be. And, and uh, you know, offensively, let's keep the pocket a little bit cleaner for Zach, give him some opportunities to make some decisions inside the pocket um, rather than trying to have to create on his feet. His knee is not at 100% as we know. 
So we clearly need better pass protection for him. Um, you know, if I were to give a prediction on this game, you know, I do feel like the Eagles are going to going to win this game. But if, in a Jets situation where they do happen to win, I mean, you could probably be looking at a tighter score here. You know, maybe like a, you know, 21 to 16 or 2017 kind of game. That's where the Jets should be. That's where, you know, I, I can kind of see them pulling a win here, squeaking one out, per se. Uh, but, you know, according to um, – this is something I saw, too, um, from some betting site. I don't have it in front of me. But apparently the Eagles uh, playing the, the Jets are 5-0 and um, against the spread. Um, so, you know, if you're a betting man, you know, maybe you can take that nugget. Uh-oh. Um, and it makes you a few bucks, but, uh, a lot of indications here that the Jets do not match up well against the Eagles. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you gave a really, really great breakdown on, on who they're going to be going up against defensively. And they do have some playmakers offensively, but, uh, you know, Jalen Ragor seems to be, you know, having, uh, a not so great season, and and you know I I read something earlier today um, from NBC Sports saying you know why aren't they benching you know Jalen Ragor, um, you know he's somebody that I really thought was going to excel, so you know his um, status hasn't been great, uh, but you know he is somebody that can be a threat that the Jets need to you know cue in on, and uh, Devonta Smith you know clearly if you watched Alabama mm-hmm. last year in that that championship game. You know, he's the type of player that uh, can completely take over. And, and, you know, sometimes he's um, very difficult to cover. So Bryce Hall, maybe Javelin Guidry, not sure Isaiah Dunn, um, not not really sure, you know, who's going to to get majority of the call there, um, you know, because two weeks ago Isaiah Dunn was getting majority of the snaps as a starting corner Last week he gets 10, and this upcoming week Javelin Gidry gets 57, 100% snaps at, at the cornerback position. Um, mm-hmm. So, the, you know, that, that, that's interesting there. You know, will Sala make an adjustment again? Um, do we see Javelin Gidry, or are we going to see Isaiah Dunn because, you know, we're dealing with different receivers? Um, that'll be something interesting to see defensively, right. you know, how we line up and who we go up against. Uh that's a very good point. Oh, yeah. And and lastly, yeah. I just yeah. wanted to throw in yeah, there, I was looking at the Eagles' uh, snap counts last week against the Giants, and it looks like two offensive linemen for them did not finish the game or came out and missed big portions of the game due to injury. And it looked like mm-hmm. Nate Herbig was the backup that came in. And from what I remember about Nate Herbig, when he's on the field, he's a liability. So if the Jets see Herbig – on the field, they need to take advantage, and the D-line needs to target him to get after the quarterback. Yeah, and I do believe I, I read something about uh, Jason Kelsey, too, um, being injured. Uh, being yep, he was one. He only played um, 30 snaps last week. Right, right. So, uh, and he's a huge any, piece. You know, information. Yeah, that's a huge, huge piece. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Eagles are not as healthy – um, maybe as they want to be, um, neither are the Jets. So, you know, that's not an of excuse. Course. That's just, you know, the reality of the situation. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, if those guys are unable to play on Sunday, 
definitely going to, you know, increase the chances for the Jets to come out um, and maybe have a, a two-game win streak here. And, and hopefully they do do it. Um, you know, again, like I said, let's not think about April yet. We've got plenty of time to talk and think about that stuff. Um, you know, at this point, I just want to see, you know, progress from, from this week to the next week to the end of the season. Let's just continue to build and show yep. more promise. Because if we see more digression, you know, a lot, a lot of, you know, questions are going to be emerging with particular players. How do we change this? Where do we go from here? So at this point, you know, we have to keep that, the trending meter on a positive note going up. Dylan, it's uh, been a little bit of an hour plus here. Um, Another good show in the books. Glad we were talking about a W. Uh, Glenn came in and gave his quick uh, few takes, which was great. Um, Anything else, uh, you know, on the top of your head that you want to talk about before we sign off? No, just like you said, let's stack a second win. And it's a it's a game that's absolutely winnable. I'm not going to say we're going to win or we should win, but absolutely a winnable game that, you know, this will tell a lot of uh, – this will answer a lot of the questions we have about this team moving forward, about playing against a, a contending team and an up-and-coming team that has a, a specific style of offense that they like to run. So a lot of, a lot of questions can be answered this week. Yes. Uh, this is going to be a fair challenge, and uh, we'll see, you know, if, if Sala and the Jets can can rise to the occasion and pull out another W. We're at home, you know, uh, we're coming off a win. We have our franchise quarterback back in place. Uh, we're a couple weeks away from uh, maybe a couple other players coming into the roster. So, you know, right now, let's put our foot on that gas pedal and let's, you know just take it take it as as hard as we can moving forward and try to stack up another couple wins and you know keep the positivity you know going on this show as well uh because you know we've had a lot of rough weeks uh watching these jets and you know this one was a nice one and hopefully we get another one next week so that's going to do it for us here tonight um thank you everyone for tuning in uh please be sure to go to jetnation.com you got to check out our website. The Jets forums are nonstop. Jets conversation, JetNation.com. That's where you got to go. Download the app. Do not miss out. Articles, YouTube videos, Green Bean and Glenn doing the YouTube thing. Lots of great stuff coming from Jet Nation, so don't miss out. Um, everybody have a great week, and as usual, Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!